crying, you're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Welcome to episode three of the Self-Pity Podcast. No, only joking. It's the UK Steelers Podcast, uh, and I'm joined by my two uh, pals in pity, uh, Dave and Gavin. How are you doing, guys? Hey, guys. Not too bad. <laughs> um, like I say, um, a lot of self-pity to go around this week. If we'd have recorded this podcast on Sunday night, I might have been inconsolable, but I'm actually feeling a little bit more upbeat today. Um, how about you guys? How are you yeah, about, about the general same. state of things? About the same, um, it, like you say, it was a, a quite depressing being down. What, nothing in two, week two, but um, it's a, it's a much brighter situation now. I think. Yeah, with a bit of reflection. Yeah. Gavin, how, the game, how are you feeling? Yeah, the, the game feels like it was a long time ago now. Yeah, it does. So much has happened since. It? Yeah. it feels like it, it was in a different era of the Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually glad that we waited so long to record the podcast. Yeah. It would have been like savagely out of date. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we're going to do today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to start with sort of the big news um, today, just because there's so much that we want to talk about off the top that we can't really ignore until halfway through the podcast. Uh, and then we'll get into a little bit about the Seahawks game and obviously go on to talk about the 49ers that we have next week as well. Um, so unavoidably, I think the biggest news of the day, or you might argue with me about that, is probably Big Ben uh, being out for the season. Um, obviously, I started quite back down for the rest of the season. Uh, he's been placed on injured reserve. Um, not a, a Tommy John injury, which was something I'd never heard of. I don't know about you guys. Never um, heard of it. It beats out the list Frank and all the, yeah. the, the dropping foot or whatever it yeah. is. This was a new one for me, but but it was originally feared that it was a Tommy John injury, which is apparently something similar to uh, what Bradshaw uh, eventually went down with when he had to retire. Um, but apparently, yeah, they did mention that in the game, didn't they? About, yeah, did they? Yeah, yeah, I think that's where I heard it. The yeah. Elbow, yeah. Uh, it was kind of eerily similar, actually. Um, but yeah, so it's not as bad as originally feared, but it is going to require surgery, so he is going to be out for the season. Uh, but he hopes to be back for next season. Doesn't have any plans to retire. He said in a release statement uh, yesterday. Um, obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Mason Rudolph and, and you know his specifically his performance in the game uh, when he came in in relief of Ben uh, on Sunday. Um, but just from a sort of a more high-level perspective, Gavin, sort of, what does this mean for the Steelers, and, and how are we feeling about Mason Rudolph going forward for the rest of this, this season? Well, I've got to say I'm quite excited. I mean, obviously this season's probably a write-off, and if anything does happen, it's a massive bonus. But it feels it does feel like a new era to me, and it's it's a chance to see what this this guy can do. Who, who as you say, we're not going to talk too much straight away, but he came out of the box flying, I thought, and looked looked exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, when you say it's the season's a write-off, I think that was my initial reaction as well. And I suppose what you mean by that, just to clarify, is probably that we're not going to be a Super Bowl contender. Um, or, or expectations will be lowered. So yeah. anything that that does happen that, that is good will be a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't see us as a Super Bowl contender, but the question was there of whether you thought that in the first place, uh, given the way that we were playing. Obviously, anything could change after week two. Um, but I, I, like you say, after sort of sitting down and, and taking some time to, to go over the game that I watched yesterday and, and think about things, 
I was a lot more confident uh, in what I saw and going forward and, and really just having the feeling to sort of, you know, how's Mason going to perform for the rest of this year? And it lets us assess that going into the draft this year and obviously in 2021 as well. Um, in terms of uh, the quarterbacks uh, behind Mason, obviously we've brought up uh, Devlin Hodges from the practice squad and uh, in a shocking move, we've signed Paxton Lynch as our QB3 uh, to the practice squad. Um Dave, uh, any thoughts on Mason or, or the backup QBs now going forward? I think bringing Lynch in, it's, it's, just, um, it's just another practice squad body, isn't it, really? I don't think he's there to really do anything. Just a, sort of a, a safety option in case anything really goes wrong this season. Not that anything can go any worse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think he's there for any real reason other than just being a body. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit like it's a bit like picking up a lottery ticket you find on the street, isn't it? That you don't know yeah. whether it's rubbish or if it's you know in the one in one in a thousand, one in fourteen million chance that it's a winner. That's how it feels to me. Like he's, you know, he obviously had that first round pedigree. They obviously there was there was enough there on tape from his college days for him to be a successful quarterback, and he's just not put it together. So it was an opportunity for him to work with a different another. I think it's his third staff isn't it see if he can actually harness that ability that he obviously had or potential I mean he was a very raw prospect yeah. I don't know I, I think it's a, it's a good move yeah I'd rather have him sitting there than you know some of the other I mean there wasn't a great deal available you know obviously as, as we talk about third string quarterbacks and you know especially with the other QBs that have gone down this week and in the last couple of weeks it's uh it's a thin market, but I think of all the options out there, you know, I'm glad we've got someone who's played some games, at least has some element of a veteran presence. Devlin Hodges, I'm glad that he's, you know, made it to the, the full squad, even though it's through injury, and I think he knows the offense well as well. So, uh, And Ben's still there, you know, Ben's going to be helping Mason all through the year, and he's said as much, you know, so I think he's, and especially because this isn't someone competing for Ben's job now, this is this is literally the, a time for Ben to prove his leadership like he's talked about wanting to do. So uh, I actually think the situation's a good one, uh, or about as good as you could hope after Ben going down. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving on, because like I say, we'll talk a bit more about Mason Rudolph uh, a little bit later. Uh, the other piece of really, really big news this week is uh, that <laughs> against all the odds, seemingly, uh, Kevin Colbert must have been uh, abducted by aliens and, and swapped out for someone else because he's traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, obviously put on the trade block uh, a couple of days ago uh, before this happened. Uh, by the Dolphins, who are now in just complete and utter tank mode. Uh, they've gotten rid of pretty much every talented player I can think of on that roster. Um, so we've traded uh, our first round pick in 2020, uh, along with swapping a couple of later round picks uh, with the Dolphins as well. Um, in terms of the value with this trade, Dave, Gavin, how do you kind of feel about this? I mean, it can only help, really. I mean, Edmonds, despite... I mean, I was looking at some stats earlier, of, um, particularly of, um, of the defence. And Edmonds, he's, he had 11 tackles and eight solo tackles, which sounds pretty good, but he's looked pretty lost out there at times. Mm. Um, so that extra help out there from Zeus, it can only really you know, help shore things up, really. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the value of the trade, it's, it's quite scary not having a first-round pick, I think. And we've not had one since... That's the first time the Steelers have not had a first-round pick since 1967. Yep. <clears throat> I'm just thinking, what, what's it going to be like on draft night? You're sitting there, you're waiting, that whole... you know, it's, it doesn't give them anywhere to go, according, you know, depending on how this season goes. And it, it shows that they have got faith, faith in Mason Rudolph because they're obviously not thinking about taking a quarterback in the first round next, next year. Yeah. So... I don't know. It feels like a big price, but I like the player. 
So it, it, it comes down to the value, comes down to how he plays, as always. Absolutely, I yeah. I think if you were kind of taking a look on the Twitter feed before this happened, obviously uh, the Steelers were one of the teams that were in for Minka Fitzpatrick. I didn't believe that it would actually happen, but obviously I was talking about it a little bit with people online. Um, and I was I was all in on this. As soon as I heard that Miami were really just kind of looking for a first-round pick, um, I was absolutely all in on giving up the 2020 first-round pick for uh, Minka because I think what you've got there is a guy, you know, he's only played his rookie year, so he's still got four years theoretically left if you take up the fifth-year option on him uh, on a cheap price. He's, you know, he's a next-level playmaker. He's a guy who was picked 11th overall but has also proven that he can do it in the league. Um Obviously, the value has gone down a little bit since then because you would imagine that with Ben going down, that the pick that we've traded away is actually of, you know, probably significantly higher value. You would imagine um, it's likely to be one of the higher picks that we've had in a long time. But at the same time, if you look at our history of first-round picks, you know, just going back the last you know few years, um, you know, Terrell Edmonds, uh, you know, Jarvis Jones, Jarvis Jones. Yeah, if you want to go that far back, it's been about fifty-fifty a lot of the time. Obviously, you've got your T.J. Watts and your Ryan Shaziers, but on the other hand, you've got quite a lot of guys who, you know, if not busts, at least didn't live up to that first round, uh, that first round hype or grade that we had on them. So, to me, to trade away a pick like this for a known quantity who, you know, you've only missed out on one year of the rookie deal, and for me, you know, he's a next-level playmaker, similar to kind of like Jamal Adams or or one of these guys, um, I'm really excited about the prospect of having a guy like that in a position that we really desperately needed it. Yeah, definitely. I think it opens up the playbook as well. It's quite interesting tactically because I think it'll enable them to roll the coverage. You know, like how some teams and the Steelers have not been able to do this where the, the, the safety will roll over to the cornerback and the yep. cornerback will roll, roll back to the safety position. So sort of hide what they're doing. So whether they're playing a one or two high safety, yep. and that's just something that really confuses quarterbacks. And we've not really had the players to do that. So him, him versus his versatility and, and some of the like Nelson and, and, and Hayden, and especially Ter- Terrell Edmonds, having those back there as a four, I think that's that's quite a strong unit Absolutely. Now. Yeah, versatility is the key word there because I think the way we've looked with Sean Davis and, and Edmonds just kind of stuck back there, it's almost been stiff, hasn't it? And that we've just been taken advantage of in certain situations where uh, you know they've changed the looks up a little bit or, or they've ran across the middle and confused our linebackers and it's left us sort of stuck. And I, I, like you say, I think that's exactly right. The versatility he brings is going to be... Uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, is it a direct response to what Brady did? He just totally picked apart the defense. He knew exactly what was happening. So, you know, this, as I say, this will help to disguise what, what the plan is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously things improved a little bit this week, but there was still major mistakes on the back end. So, um, yeah, this is something we've needed for a while, in my opinion. And he's, and he's a, a... Sorry, go on, Doug. Yeah, so just to, just to add something quickly, um, it goes out of my head now. No, no, I've just thought about it. Um, no, it's gone. Carry on. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, and also the other thing he brings is the ball skills, the interceptions, which yeah. which the Steelers haven't had, and and that's exciting. Yeah, I heard yesterday we've had uh, four interceptions. You might have heard this, Gavin, if you listen to the terrible podcast. Four interceptions uh, in the last sixteen regular season games. Yeah, shocking. Which is just, uh, you know, uh, which you know actually brings me to a good point. Um, we had a, a message come in this week, um, as we like from our listeners. Uh, Mike Dandy, who you probably know, you know, in and around the Facebook page, um, he got in touch right. contact with me to um, talk about the turnover differential. Um, I was going to kind of bring it up as a topic later, but it kind of fits in here a little bit. Um, talking about the interceptions and what Minka brings, um, I thought kind of fit quite nicely into what Mike had sent me earlier in the week in that he thought that that was maybe the key. Whereas last week we talked about penalties and the differential we have and the, and the way that we kind of rank amongst the NFL in penalties. Uh, he kind of felt that turnover differential and our lack of ability to, um, you know, win the turnover battle or at least, uh, 
make a sizable impact on the back end in terms of interceptions was costing us games. Um, if I just look at some of the stats, um, I'm just going to pull those up now. But but in terms of Minka's impact, do you think that's going to be significant? Do you think that that's going to sort of lead to us winning the turnover battle a lot more? Definitely. And not just him as well. I think Stephen Nelson has shown his, his ball skills as well. I don't know if you noticed some of the plays he made against the Seahawks. You could see that we have not like, just targeting the ball in the air and disrupting passes, even if you're not getting picks. They're showing more ability than there's been back there for a while. So I'm feeling confident there's going to be a few more interceptions with this unit. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just trying to think back on interceptions. I can only really remember off the top of my head, maybe Joe Hayden, Edmonds, coming down with a couple of picks. That's about it. Yeah, we played. they, they played this game uh, on the Tower podcast, actually, where, where they were trying to remember what the interceptions were because they're so few and far between that it, you know it's hard to cast your memory back. It, it, yeah, Hayden, Not being funny, the last one I can remember is by Troy, I think. <laughs> it's definitely not been that long. <laughs> um, but if you look at the if you look at the the turnover differential uh, and, and what Mike did, he actually made the the point. Uh, I'll read his message out actually. So uh, shout out Mike. Um, sending you this because um, he loves his stats. Um, something to consider on the podcast uh, and knacks me the way that punting does you. Punting does mark me. But uh, you know, to be fair to John Barry, actually he did a good job this week. I'll give him that. Um, our turnover ratio has killed us for the last decade, and here's a comparison to the Patriots that brings it home. Uh, league ranking uh, in brackets, which he's provided for me there. Um, I think comparing to the Patriots is always a, a little bit, um, a little bit cheating because the Patriots tend to be the best in these kind of categories because of the coaching. But it's a fair point. Um, so in 2018, so last year, uh, we had a turnover differential of plus one. New England were plus ten. In 2017, it was plus two. New England plus six. Uh, 2016, it was plus five with New England plus 12. Um, and then as you go further and further back, it actually does get worse. And I pointed this out to Mike. I said, we, ha- we have got a little bit better on this. Um, back in 2011 and 2012, we were at the minus 13 and minus 10 level, for example. Um, but, you know, he rightly said that as a team that is uh, competing for the playoffs and for the Super Bowl in all of those years, uh, and the fact that, you know, the cliche is turnovers win games, you would imagine that, you know, turnovers would be high on the list of things you would assume would be uh, important for a team that's competing for a Super Bowl. So is that the key thing that stopped us from reaching our potential over the last few years, do you think? I don't think it's the key. I, I think, it, I mean, you can't, you can you can plan for it in, to an extent, you can train to it for an extent, but to me, it always seems to be a sort of matter of a bit of dumb luck coming into it, really. Um just be in that right position at the right moment. Maybe there is some training I, I think for that. To, I think to a certain point, but but you can't ignore the fact that you know we haven't generated interceptions for the last two or three seasons. Um, I, I get what you're saying. Interceptions do deal with a lot of luck, um, but we also don't generate them whether whether that's schematically or or you know dropped interceptions, whatever it might be. I think there has to be reasons over a longer period of time that we're not seeing that. I think it partly due to the sort of leftover of the Dick LeBeau kind of containment defense where you, you try and prevent big gains of the offense and therefore you're not going to risk making a big play on the ball apart from Troy, who is obviously freelancing, willing to take a risk at any time. Mm. So it's partly that. And I think it's, you know, this, this defense has been transitioning away from that for three, four years now. And it's starting to look, I thought it's starting to come together a little bit and it's starting to take shape as being its own identity. Um, And I think part of that is bringing in these players with better ball skills, as I was saying earlier, and trying to get those turnovers. So hopefully it will be something that improves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My uh, my point's just back to me. It's come back into my brain. (laughs) Um, um, Not to bang on about the Butler 
bash, you know, bash butt the train. Um, but I, I might be wrong in this figure. It's a figure that I've read somewhere. I think someone even might have commented it on the on the Facebook group that we have ten first and second round picks in the defense at the moment. Yep, another one yeah, coming in. Another one. Yeah. If he can't do it with this, what can he do it with? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And it's also, the, I mean, it speaks to the fact that they can't really draft, they've not been able to draft defensive backs very well. Yeah. And the, the ones that are on the team are all mainly acquired through free agency. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I kind of like this move because we've, you know, we've let Miami draft for us here uh, and gone and got a proven guy, which, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like Tomlin really liked him in the draft process, visited with him twice, even yeah. though he knew he could never be able to draft him. Yeah. So it's one of those things that the Steelers always go back to players they like to scout. You know, they've scouted and they've liked originally. They they don't tend to move for players that they don't like in the draft process. Uh, last thing on, on Minka, do, do we know his, kind of his status? Do you think he would play immediately? I haven't seen anything about this. Is he someone that would Yeah, I, I've seen it. It's, he's looked to start, especially with Sean Davis down. So he, he would look, be looking to start against the 49ers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, they're, awesome. they're working with him now to start. Brilliant. Um, speaking of Sean Davis, obviously Sean Davis has gone down to IR with a torn labrum. Um, I believe he's expected to miss the rest of the season, although he, he could be a candidate to return. I don't know if you've seen any more than me on that. No. No. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but with Minka, like you say, it seems like a uh, an upgrade really in that position, even though we've had to give up the draft pick. Uh, but for right now, it uh, seems like an upgrade. Uh, Sean Davis, what's your opinion on Sean Davis? I, I've been a little bit split over the last couple of years. I think watching... Cameron Kelly made me think he was better than I thought before. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he was kind of hampered, wasn't he? Because he came in and he was sort of played out of position. Yeah. I think I think he's athletic. I think he's trustworthy. I don't think he's got the big playability. Yeah. But, I, th- I mean, will he leave now? He's got one year left on his contract. It's, I don't know. Quite possible. They're not, they're not going to pay him, are they? No. He seems to me like a kind of a league average starter. He, he was promising at the very start of his career and he just seems to have tailed off a little bit. He's you know, he, he's not terrible, but he will give up a big play. Um, so yeah. does Minka, though. Minka gives up big plays as well. I mean, he's not perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we should probably say that. Yeah, it's easy to get carried away with these kind of big players. But the playmaking ability almost, uh, you, know, you don't want to say makes it worth it, but... You know the appeal. He's got there. a higher ceiling. Yeah, yeah, he's got a higher ceiling. I think. Yeah. And the tactical fluidity I was talking about. I think that's that's a, a bigger win for the whole defense rather than just you know what Minka's going to bring personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last sort of big piece of news, unless you guys have anything else, is just generally the the injuries leading into the 49ers game. Uh, James Connor uh, was probably the other big one uh, with a knee injury. Uh, seems to be going day to day on that. As far as I'm aware, he should be playing in the 49ers game, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, Jalen Samuels uh, primed to start if he's not ready to be up, uh, but we'll keep an eye on that. Vince William also down with a hamstring. Um, I don't know if you've had any update on this, but this looks like this might leave him out for a little bit of time. Don't yeah, I've not seen how serious that is. No, I, I, it's currently listed as questionable um, when I was looking today, but from some of the talk that you know I heard, it, it sounded a bit more like it might lead him to miss a bit of time. So obviously uh, with Chicolo down as well, we might be looking a little bit light. Uh, at linebacker, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, lovely. Oh, if we had Tuzar skipper. Oh, <laughs> <dear>. <laughs> no, we're not going back to Tuzar again. If I have to have a third podcast with a lengthy Tuzar skipper discussion, <laughs> that's it. I'm giving up. Um, lovely. Uh, that's all I've really got for the sort of the big news. Is there anything that well, I've kind of missed? Yeah, I was just thinking. Did we really talk about Ben enough? Because obviously that's that's quite major that Ben's gone down, and it's yeah. kind of. I was thinking, you know, does. 
that obviously spells the closing of the the, the Super Bowl window. Do you think? Uh, do you yeah, think he'll come I, I would, back? I would suggest. I, I do think he'll come back next season. Um, I don't think he wants to go out this way, and I think he, assuming you know, obviously that his elbow allows him to, assuming there's no complications with that, I think he'll want to come back for another season, depending on how Mason I, plays. I mean, it smell. I mean, maybe I'm being overly positive, but it smells to me of when Ben first came in. Yeah. And it smells to me of when Brady took over from Drew Bledsoe. It just kind of feels like that, that there's this young kid ready to go, the, the sort of established starter goes down, everyone thinks the season's over, and then the kid explodes. And in both of those years, you know, they won the Super Bowl very soon after. So I don't know. But what I was, what, what I was thinking about was if the window's closed, how long is, is, it, is it really closed now or has it been closed for a while? I think you'd probably argue it closed with the start of the season with the loss of Antonio Brown, if I was to really put a, a pin on it. Or did it close when Shazier went down? No, I think we could have still competed at, at, without Shazier. I think, obviously, we lost a lot when Shazier went down because we lost a lot of pace in the defence and the defence has struggled since. But I think the window was open. As long as you had game breakers like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, I think that window, as we call it, and it's a vague term, but as far as I was concerned, I thought I felt like we were competing. So then what about when Bell held out that year? I mean, what you've got to remember is that year, you know, we beat the Patriots uh, leading into the playoffs. Uh, we should have beat the Saints, uh, but we missed the playoffs because of a bad PI call. Um, so if we beat the Patriots two weeks before the playoffs, as far as I'm concerned, we could beat them. Okay. I'm, in, I'm in two minds, really. Apart from he's wanting to be sort of downcast, like say that the season's over and all that, and and that Ben's ear is over. But at the same time, he's going to be back. But I think a lot of it hinges on, as you say, how well Mason does this season. If he's coming out as the heir apparent and he's making huge strides, then will Ben want to come back to you know, potentially start on the bench? He's not going to come back and be number two, is he? No, you wouldn't think so. And if he really does make great strides, you know, if this if this year experiment with Mason, Mason really works out, then maybe he doesn't get the option to come back. Exactly. In which case, I think, yeah, the Super Bowl window probably is closed if he doesn't come back. So it's sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm in two minds. I'm trying to decide whether I'm in, I'm in a sort of a dark mood or a light mood. I don't. <laughs> I just, I think ultimately, I just don't think we know enough about Mason and about. You got to remember, this is a very young team. All of a sudden, um, both on offense and on defense, the nucleus is very young, uh, and I don't think we know enough about Mason and what it's going to look like to know whether the Super Bowl window will be open next year, two years from now. Yeah, um, but but to, to go back to your point though, Gavin, I think to talk about Ben a little bit more. Um, if this is the last we've seen of him, then it's it's certainly a sad sight. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's all I've ever known at quarterback. Me being the youngest of us, um, I imagine you've got some stories about the good old days, Gavin. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, were you watching the year that he was quite injured quite a lot? Um, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that was that felt that this feels very different to that. Is that the Mike Vick year? Uh, oh. No, not that year. The earlier one when it was it was Charlie Batch and Byron Leftwich oh, coming no, in. I, I, I don't think I was flopping around, and you never knew which QB was the actual backup, and when Ben was going to be back, and it kind of dragged on for ages, and then he eventually came back, but he wasn't right, and it was just a kind of awful season. Hmm. But um, this feels very different to that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's happened so soon in the season is a positive because. Mason's had that whole preseason. He he just came straight in, and it felt like he'd been playing for weeks already. Yeah, you know, it's it's it can't it's probably the best time to lose your starting quarterback. I think. 
Yeah, it gives us some time to recoup, and the, the schedule gets a little bit lighter now, uh, or at least you hope. Um, so, you well, there's that, uh, that week five game against the Ravens looks a bit intimidating. It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've not got my hopes held out for that one. And we've got to face them twice this season, but we also get to play the Bengals twice, so we can't complain. Yeah. It's time you lose, Sam. <laughs> um, perfect. And obviously, we'll talk a bit more about Ben if and when we know more. You know, obviously, if, if it turns out Ben retires at the end of the season, I'm sure we'll devote a lot of time to talking about Ben and his legacy and, and what all that means. But um, for now, I think it's time to focus on Mason and move forward from here. Um, moving on then, if we, if we talk a little bit about the Seahawks game, I just want to kind of recap some of the, the key points, the key plays, and run through the game. Um, obviously, please let me know if you kind of want to delve deeper into any of the particular plays that, that, that may have cost us this game as I go through. Um, it all started uh, kind of uh, similar to last week almost, uh, where the offense couldn't quite get going, but uh, the defense started uh, pretty pretty nice, nicely out the gate, a lot of pressure uh, from the defensive line. Obviously, all four of our sacks came in the first half. Um yeah, it seemed like at, at one point I just thought like, every play you've got a Steelers linebacker in the yeah. in the backfield. Yeah, especially in the it's in gross. the first quarter, almost it felt like wow, this is really uh, going the way that we almost spoke about last week about the D line against their O line. You know, it, it yeah. really was seemed like a mismatch, but uh, that quietened down as the game went on. Um, the first kind of big play, because I don't want to sort of spend too long, you know, going into the minutiae of the game. The first sort of big play uh, was when uh, the forced fumble, the first forced fumble uh, that TJ Watt, I believe, knocked out. Uh, Sean Davis blocks a guy in the back, uh, nothing to do with the play, just as we were talking about last week, Gavin. Um, yep. Just silly play. Yes, yeah, it, it was disappointing. Um, we, we, we were quite lucky, though, um, that Pete Carroll... Uh, challenged a defensive PI call in the end zone um, that was not given to him. Uh, we'll come back to that later. Uh, and James Conner sort of capitalises on that turnover uh, with a one-yard touchdown drive. Um, so early on in the game, it looked like things were going pretty well. Um, seven nothing up. Um, I was quite positive. I don't know about you guys, just from the kind of the first eight, seven or eight minutes of the game. I don't feel like it. Had sort of, this was the big turnaround, but it felt like there was yeah definite improvements there. Yeah. Mm. Um, later on in the game, of course, uh, for me, the, the, the most frustrating play, and I don't know if you guys maybe know a little bit more about this, because I kept re-watching the play and couldn't quite figure out exactly what the problem was, but Dan McCullers gets a costly personal foul penalty on uh, the Seahawks field goal, uh, wiping the three points off the board, but eventually leading to, to seven as they score a touchdown on uh, the next couple of plays. Did you see what this, this foul was, either of you two? I mean, I, I, I thought it was a massive, that was a massive moment. Huge, in huge the game, game. four-point play. Go from a stop. Yeah. Sorry, I say again. Uh, sorry, I'm just saying it's a four-point play straight, straight there. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, stopped them and then they're, they're back in and they're going to score straight away. I mean, it's massive momentum shift to you know deflation for the whole team. And I felt sorry for Big Dan because I'm not sure. Did he sort? He sort of collapsed on the centre or the, on the long snapper. Is yeah, that what it, happened? It, it was really strange. I, I watched it over and over again trying to really understand because I thought has he maybe leaped or done something like that? It, it just seemed like he kind of. Slid in between uh, two blockers. Don't know if he, maybe there was someone I couldn't see, or if he landed heavily on a guy. I, I truly couldn't make out what the foul was specifically for. I think it's I think it's a very specific safety uh, foul. Yeah, where most probably. The, the long, yeah. long snappers kind of in a vulnerable position and he's kind of snapped. There must have been some incident where someone got their neck broke or something, so and it's it's. As far as I can see, Dan McCall's was lined up sort of uh, to the. If you imagine, I'm looking at it from the field goal. He was lined up to the left. 
uh, of the, uh, the yeah, he was over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you're quite you're quite right. It might have been an issue to do with that, something more specific. But there wasn't any explanation given on the field, unfortunately, which I was kind of hoping there would be. Um, so I, I didn't really get to really understand that as much as I'd like to have done. But it's but either way, murky world of uh, special teams. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm no expert on that, as we know from punting corner. Um, so yeah as you say though a massive play in the game because that I mean we lose the game by two points ultimately Um, not saying we definitely would have won it would have changed the complexion of the game I'm sure but um, massive massive it just just, yeah I mean you can imagine to go through that to stop it to stop them get the ball back and then you know just the deflation and the anger it would have caused on the whole team yeah absolutely Um, change the momentum a bit Um, we then saw uh the Seahawks march up the field, um, and this is where, for me, we started to see a bit of the the falling out of Devin Bush in this game. Devin Bush did some great things in this game, but he also did some uh, really questionable things, in my opinion. And, and the first touchdown to Will Disley from the Seahawks, um, he just runs right up the seam and, and, and scores a touchdown. Uh, and to be honest, Devin Bush looks just completely lost. Uh, he's two steps behind him on the coverage, almost runs into, I think it was uh, one of the cornerbacks, I, I couldn't tell you exactly who it was, but you could clear, you could clearly see it was zone coverage and he, he was just struggling to understand who he should be covering. Yeah, well, Will Disley had quite a day, didn't he? He did indeed, they, yeah. They yeah. just couldn't stop him. Yeah, uh, and again, not to jump too far ahead, but I think Devin Bush might have had something to do with the second Will <laughs> Disley touchdown <laughs> as well. So uh, any Will Disley fantasy owners as Devin Bush to uh, to thank for the win this week. We've been going to this season expecting too much from Bush. I get a feeling now we have. That's a that's a really good question. Um, it's always going to be growing pains. Always going to be growing pains with a, a rookie player, right? Yeah, especially with the middle I mean, linebacker. You know, it's the quarterback of the defense. It's a it's a complicated position. Yeah, I mean, you just hope they you know they bounce back quickly and they don't cost too many games. But it's part of their sort of growing experience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't think you can put too much blame on him. If we want this defense to improve. Quickly, I think he he's someone who needs to kind of start to show signs of improvement over the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't single him out as being the the lead person. To... Oh no, no, absolutely not. I just think that it was bad in the in the sense that on two of these touchdown plays he looked lost. Um, he didn't have a he didn't have a terrible game at all. Um, there were other players that I could point out that had worse games. Um, but I, I, it's just unfortunate that the two plays that you know he, he looked a bit lost on. Unfortunately, it's a touchdowns. Um, Do you think? I mean, I I've not watched uh, uh, to pull back the curtain. I didn't watch the game back. Did it look like it was a tactic, like a mismatch, a scheme kind of situation, or like so, because uh, I find that surprising with my hatred of Brian Schottenheimer? Or did it just look <laughs> like? I mean, Disley's you know he's a sort of lumbering, heavy dude, isn't he? I mean, he's not exactly going to be getting away from many people yet. Yeah, he seems to. I think what happened if you watch the play basically. Uh, Devin Bush uh, immediately leaps up with all of his speed and athleticism. Um, he's kind of, you can tell he's supposed to have like his own coverage to the left of him. Um, he immediately sort of runs, but there's two players. There's a wide receiver that was lined up just to the right of Will Disley, who basically runs a flat route. Um, and then Will Disley kind of runs straight up the seam on a, on a kind of a go route or a fade route. Um, and Devin Bush, just unfortunately, he's a second too late because he, he reacts straight away to both of them and chooses to follow the guy into the flat for a split second. Um, you, can, you almost wouldn't notice it if you didn't rewatch the play. Um, but it leaves him two steps behind Will Disley and he just waltzes into the end zone um, you know, without Devin Bush being able to even contend the catch. Um, so what, he's, caught, he's caught staring into the backfield, looking into um, Russell Wilson's eyes, waiting quite, to see where he goes. Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Um, it, almost as if he was trying, yeah, trying to react to the play before it happened. I mean, I heard a lot of people banging about on um, 
on Bush before this even started, saying, no, he's too small, his height's going to be an issue. It seems that his inexperience is the main issue at the moment, really. Yeah, uh, and after the game, you know, a lot of the guys were talking about communication being the issue as well on these kinds of things, and you could see that that's the kind of play that we're talking about, especially with Devin Bush not calling the plays in the defence right now. It, it it was swapping around the uh, the defence in terms of who was calling the plays because of injuries. It felt like communication was a major issue on, on some of these zone plays as well. Yeah. yeah, well, hopefully, like like I say, that's going to be growing pains. Yeah, you know, we, we want that green dot on his helmet as quickly as possible, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to I bet we get the ball back. Ben uh, starts to get into a passing rhythm, and, and that's what's really highlighted the the most for the first couple of weeks for me is that the offense has not been able to get into rhythm. Um, minus two drives in this game, in my opinion. Again, it was very difficult. We were making it hard on ourselves on third and short and third down. It, it was very difficult for, get, for us to get into rhythm throughout this game, but uh, after this touchdown, we did start to get into a bit of a rhythm. Uh, ben and Juju started to hook up finally, and uh, unfortunately, offensive pass interference was called uh, on Vance, which backed us up, and we had to settle for a field goal. Um, and it, it, That kind of led us into the half. Um, the first half, obviously just before the half ends, Ben uh, I believe is is when that you know he, he goes out, so we don't see a lot of Mason in that half, uh, if anything at all. But he um, got his he got his first reception five minutes before half time, right? Uh, Mason, no. Oh no, Ben. There was a first reception for the team. Uh, what do you mean, sorry? <laughs> there was no no receptions in the first quarter. Oh, right? sorry, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. no, yes, yeah, yeah. And then sorry. there was the first, his first recep- the first reception of the whole team was five minutes before the half, which I mean that's was shocking. From the receivers, or, or was it Ben's accuracy? I don't know. Was, the, was his elbow playing up already? Yeah, quite possibly. There wasn't a lot there. I mean, the, the running game was uh, working a little bit better than pa- the passing game, but but not by a great deal. And Juju hadn't done anything to that point. But I felt like, like I say, at the start of the uh, uh, sorry, at the end of the second quarter, we did start to get rolling a little bit before Ben had to yeah. leave. Um, and Juju eventually starts to rack up some numbers later in the game, becomes the leading receiver. But um, I'm sure skew some of those figures, right? What's that? Sorry. I'm sure Moncrief skews some of those figures a little bit, really. <laughs> well, we're about to get to, to Moncrief. So. <laughs> Basically, the first drive that the Steelers have in the second half, um, Mason Rudolph starts to get... Um, you're hoping he's about to get into rhythm. We have two sort of poor run plays on this drive, and then he throws a, a nice pass right on the money uh, to Dante Moncrief, uh, who proceeds to, again, fail to catch the ball that's thrown perfectly to him. It bounces right off his face uh, into the hands of a Seahawks defender. Uh, and poor Mason, who's just come in in relief of Ben, God bless him, uh, gets an interception that's nothing to do with him straight away. So welcome yeah. to the NFL. Well, the boo started, didn't they? And I, I instantly thought, oh no, you have, why? You, you know, give give Mason a chance. Then I realised, oh wait, it was Moncrief. Okay, yeah. that's who they're booing. <laughs> yeah, and you can see it in Moncrief's face almost straight away. He, he kind of he looks at the intercept, the guy's lying on the floor because he just kind of stayed in bounds and he, he looks just completely dejected and, and shocked that it's happened and just turns around and walks away. But um, I believe he was pretty much benched after that point. It um, was. Yeah. One yeah. one target, no receptions, yeah. and didn't see the field again. Which, you know, probably for the best. We'll talk a bit more about that later. But um, yeah, so we, we kind of move on without Dante Moncrief. And, and I felt like that was a real shame for Mason, but it didn't seem to knock his confidence. No, straight back. Yeah. Um, Bush. Um, again, when I've talked, I've already talked a little bit about this, but but later, um, Bush again gives up the touchdown to Disley. Um, very similar kind of play, to be honest. Just a step behind him because he's trying to read the field. Um, something I think he probably needs to improve on, and just leads to another touchdown at the seam. Uh, and then we get the flea flicker. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which was a fun play. Mason Rudolph, obviously, uh, nice little handoff to James Conner, who tosses it right back to him. Uh, and then just a beautiful throw uh, for 46 yards uh, straight down to, to Juju. What, what did you think of this throw? It was the first real sort of deep ball and opportunity that we'd seen out of Mason? Well, that's what we see from Mason in the preseason as well. Some of mm. his throws are just electric, so exciting, and more accurate than Ben, I think. You know, some of his, his it, it, the whole range of passing as well, short, intermediate, long, he's just got accuracy, just gets it right in the barrel. Yeah. So this, it's so encouraging. On rewatching the game, this is the play. Uh, I know it's a flea flicker, so take what you will from that. It, you know, it, it messes with the coverages, but it, this is the, the throw specifically that excited me. It was right on the money. It was in stride. It was in a, a tight window that Juju had because the coverage wasn't too bad considering it was a flea flicker. Uh, there was a guy right on him. Um, and this was the point where rewatching the game, I was like, right, okay. Uh, you know, I'm in on this Mason kid. This, this might not be all bad. Um, yeah, he's got a rifle. It's like Ben. Absolutely. Sometimes you know, he's you know, he, Ben's got a cannon. You know, he can sh- get it down the end, but it, sometimes it will wobble a little bit or kind of fluttery kind of, thr- you know, arc on it. Whereas Mason's balls, they just look like a bullet flying there. Yeah, and at the speed, the speed of the release. What was that? Just get back to Ben. Just get back, uh, back to Ben briefly. I, I I feel like maybe this injury has been sort of slowly building on him or something because it, it seemed like he was underthrowing, overthrowing, like you say on those deep balls, overthrowing a lot of the times. So maybe he's putting more into it to compensate for not feeling quite right. I don't I'm I might be I'm speculating here, but Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. When when the injury came out and that he'd been sort of struggling with it the whole game, I thought, how long has he been struggling with it? Because he's yeah. he's not been right. Yeah, we heard uh, after the game that he complained about it after the uh, the week one game. So uh, absolutely, right. it probably was a factor yeah. in, in in his throwing. Uh, maybe even at the end of the Patriots game, who knows? Um, moving on from that, uh, this so at this point we were one point uh, behind in the game. Considering that, that Mason Rudolph had come in and, and you know the disaster of Ben going down, it, it, it was competitive. Um, and then we get dealt a real blow, and this is where when I was watching it uh, in the bar with you, Dave, I, I felt like it, it, it was all lost uh, when Richard Penny runs up to the whole D line. Uh, and somehow manages to kind of stop and juke the entire D-line uh, and then go the whole way uh, for a long touchdown. Um, I don't know, Gavin, if you remember watching this play, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Chicolo didn't seal the edge, did Chicolo, he? Chicolo, yeah, exactly. Chicolo, unfortunately. It was when what was off, what, what was getting treatment for something, wasn't he? He had a yeah. slight injury for the... And and you could see the rush and the whole D really suffered when he was off the field. And Chick, I mean, he's, a, he's kind of... So averagely solid player. They like him on special teams, but you know he was there just plugging the gap, and he didn't he didn't do his job on that play, unfortunately. And the one thing, not getting too far ahead, but it it doesn't bode well for the San Francisco 49ers that they were getting run on plays like that because that's exactly what they do with Moster and um, Breder. Yeah. That, that kind of play. Yeah, that does worry me leading into next week's game. But yeah, like we say, we will get to that. But that 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 is a concern. Um, but uh, Chicolo's out next week, so <laughs> maybe Watt won't have the chance. But then the question is, who comes in if Watt does need to go out? But well, know, is, this, we'll... is this the Ola, the Ola yeah, show? Yeah, let's hope next. so. Um, now, the next one that is the most encouraging part uh, of the game for me, uh, Mason leads us on a, on a touchdown drive. Uh, I suppose his first touchdown drive uh, as a Steeler. Um, this was a very encouraging part of the game because he showed great poise, great accuracy. Uh, he showed patience in the pocket in the actual touchdown to Vance McDonald. He kind of drops back, waits for the play to develop, even throws right into the face of some rushes that are right on him. Um, in this drive, we saw a lot of great sort of play action stuff. You know, he turns around away from the defenders and throws it across the middle to James Conner at one point. Um, he even uses his legs to run seven yards to make a first down on third down. So really kind of versatile 
offering from Mason Rudolph on this drive. And this is what, again, really sold me on the chance that, you know, maybe he is something uh, special or, or at least, you know, someone we can rely on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the key, the key thing you said there was the play action. I think this team's under Ben, it's it's not used play action a lot, has it? And it's one yeah. of the things that can really help you when you're down or, you know, you, you need you need to get some plays behind you, then it really helps because it really confuses everyone. And I, I wonder whether, you know, Ben's not a fan of play action. He likes to keep his eyes on the D, defence, yeah. I think. But it, I was thinking, you know, maybe this shows that Fichtner, you know, he's his play calling has been a bit restricted by Ben because he is Ben's man. He got the job because Ben wanted him to get the job and he yep. wanted Todd Haley out the door. So I think Finkner's perhaps had to be a little bit of a yes man. Whereas suddenly with Mason in the, you know, we saw a flea flicker, we saw the play action, we saw all the plays that maybe Ben not so keen on that actually opened up the field for us. And it's encouraging, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Just the versatility and, and the difference, and it just felt like that it's only one drive at the end of the day, you know. But but unfortunately, we didn't get to see a great deal more just because of the time and the and the, uh, the kind of game that it, it turned to be in the last few quarters. Um, but yeah, very encouraging from what I saw on that drive. Um, but unfortunately, like I say, straight after this, almost um, we get the Seahawks drive, uh, which is the big controversy in this game, uh, which is the PI challenge from Pete Carroll. Um, so obviously just for a bit of background, uh, it's thrown deep. Uh, Edmonds is on the coverage. Um, I believe, uh, was it Tyler Lockett who uh, it was thrown to? I think I so. don't know, actually. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think it was Tyler Lockett. I might be wrong, but because but, um, he, he, yeah, he was a, a, a little agile guy. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and he kind of bends his body in mid-air, Tyler Lockett, or perhaps Terrell Edmonds, depending on your point of view, who does it, um, and fails to make the catch. But even in slow motion, I'll be honest on this one, guys, I was completely unsure about whether this was PI or not. I couldn't decide. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and look at this Gav or Dave, but um... I didn't I didn't see it. I, I was sitting there chuckling that that uh uh he uh what's the the Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, yeah. I I was chuckling that Pete Carroll had wasted his challenge flag. <laughs> I think that's there's no way. What's he doing? He's just doing a Mike Tomlin and then I, I just almost dropped my beer when they, they turned it around. If Mike Tomlin had challenged this I guarantee it wouldn't have been overturned. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave, I don't know. Like I said, I don't you had a chance to watch it. Did you have an opinion on on whether this was or was not PI? I didn't really look back on it. To be honest. I mean, I, I watched the sort of um, uh, a short. I watched the highlights basically. I watched highlights back. The sort of game in forty. Um, so no, I didn't really pay much attention to that. Um, looking when looking back on watching it live, I, it didn't really feel like it was. It felt a bit sort of a. It was just a bit quick, a sort bit of like t- a bit ticky tacky. Yeah. Um, was there something earlier in the play, or is it in the in the, the bit it, in it, the air? It's the bit in the air. So so he basically leaps uh, up for the ball, but it's coming into uh, his chest or his stomach almost. Uh, and Terrell Edmonds has got his arms kind of jammed up in the uh, behind him. Um, but again, the kind of movement that he makes is questionable whether or not he just did it himself or whether Terrell Edmonds really had an impact on the play for me. Um, it's one of those plays where if they'd have called it pi probably wouldn't have complained that much but yeah. because it was overturned it, it turns it into this whole thing and and obviously pi this year is so controversial anyway and it's got to be uh obvious to, to overturn exactly it. i thought it's got to be a major a major infraction for them to turn it over that's, exactly that's... and that's that's the controversy not the, the controversy isn't really whether it was pi or it wasn't because to me that seems very 50 50 i couldn't tell you i didn't know the answer but because i didn't know the answer should show you that why are we overturning that on a challenge yeah um yeah, so a very questionable decision and a huge decision in the game as well in terms of the way it went yeah. because uh, obviously um, Metcalf uh, then gets the uh, the long touchdown uh, up the sideline 
Uh, finally, he wasn't being covered by Stephen Nelson, who pretty much kept him in check this whole game. Um, yeah, another good showing from him. It was a good showing from Stephen Nelson. I was very impressed. But um, unfortunately, he wasn't being covered by Nelson at this point, And they noticed that, schemed it up and threw it straight on Edmonds, who just never really got his eyes on the ball, never turned around to locate the ball. And, and even though he was he was just about on him, he was a step behind maybe, he couldn't quite locate the ball or, or stop the physicality of Metcalf getting up there to get it. Yeah. I mean, I think that you've hit the three reasons why I thought the Steelers lost the game. And it wasn't because Ben went down. It was, I thought it was early on, it was the receiver core just, well, receiver core slash Ben not being able to throw a, a pass on target. Then it was a big damn penalty. And then it was this challenge. And those three things just prevented the Steelers from winning the game. Otherwise, I think it was theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of encouraging, really, that we lost this game, not because of Mason Rudolph, but because, you know, some strange, either would be official decisions or, or foolish fouls or penalties and this that and the other it was these are things that theoretically can be corrected or are out of the Steelers control um, rather than it being Mason Rudolph uh, this definitely isn't for example a Luke Falk situation you know in New York um, where nah. you can't move the ball um, the last real obviously big moment of the game is when you thought we were back in it um, I know I was celebrating as if we'd won in the bar um, <laughs> it was the, uh, the fumble by Chris Carson uh, really deep in their own half um, fumbles it it looks like Mike Hilton might have kind of I don't want to say necessarily forced the fumble but he got the pressure on there that, that caused oh, yeah. The, yeah, the quick drop um, and then I thought this was a really exciting and interesting return by uh, Devin Bush uh, this kind of redeemed him for me a little bit in this game where he kind of at first, I'm screaming. I'm like, "Why are you going backwards?" He runs almost, you know, 15 yards backwards, and then turns, yeah. gets the edge, and and runs right to the three yard line. Yeah, but it nearly resulted in the most disappointing yeah. play in the whole game, right? Fumbling yeah. to the end zone. So I was on edge. Know anything but that. Yeah, I know. I was on edge. I mean, that's a terrible rule, anyway. But yeah. Um, so, so you know, to cut a long story short, that that was a wonderful return. Um, but uh, we got a nice touchdown as well. Uh, Mason Rudolph throws his second touchdown to Vance McDonald um, on a play action. Uh, and then the Seahawks, unfortunately, managed to milk the clock. And, and the last real big play, uh, we give up uh, third and 16 to Russell Wilson and a scramble straight up the middle, uh, which is just unforgivable. Uh, and it allows Pete Carroll to milk the clock down on fourth and one. Yeah, and Brian Schottenheimer, as much as I hate him, he, he pulled a blinder there. I yeah. thought he, that was the tactical now of bringing the team out, holding on, seeing what they do, call the timeout, come back and score, you know, win the game. Yeah, and right. it was easy to forget as I, as I went back to rewatch. but that drive, uh, the final drive of the Seahawks, uh, started with four and a half minutes on the clock, and at that point, you're thinking, we stop them here, you know, in four and a half minutes, we've got plenty of time. Uh, so fair play to the Seahawks, they managed to drive all that time off the board without even getting uh, too, too close to Arenzo. Yeah, he must have learned a few few tricks during his time in the college game, because yeah. he wasn't doing stuff like that. Um, we are running a bit long, so I don't want to spend too too long. Just uh, one quick thing, this, I did, but... just a couple of sorry, a couple of things I did notice that you didn't mention was the be, the Benny Snell run. Yes, sorry, yes, that Benny was Snell. encouraging. Twenty three yards, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, twenty three yards, and he made someone miss. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And that was on what fourth and one, or I can't remember I the think... game time where it happened, but it was a good play. It, it was uh, it was on a, a either third and one or a fourth and one because uh, the line was stacked up, and this is what I actually wrote down in my notes about it was it might not be a huge deal. Um, because the the way the line was so stacked up, you know, there was no one, yeah, there was no middle linebackers almost. They were all blitzing to try and stop the run. Um, but so he that... hit the hole. The hole wasn't right in front of him. He kind of he, oh, yeah. he diagnosed it and went through and then made the guy miss. Yeah, that's exactly what I've written here. He found the hole well. He capitalised well. And the reason it was such a long run was because uh, there was nobody there to stop him until the right, second. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, yeah, it, it was a good job to get the fourth and one and then obviously the long run after. 
Um, so he finishes the game as a third down back for 23 yards on one run. Uh, so not a bad average for him. Um, so, and he's, he might look football is here, but um, it's it's on his way. Yeah, well, he looks like he might be uh, doing having more of a role against the 49ers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially well, if James Connors down. down. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um. So, what I want to do then, really, is just kind of go over some of the the positives and, and, and negatives to, to come out of this game. Um. Before I sort of jump into anything, is there any sort of high level things that you guys wanted to talk about? Well, it's, it's a it's a silly thing, mm-hmm. but did you notice? Ray Sherman, the, the the I mean, unfortunate passing of Daryl Drake, but Ray Sherman was kind of, he was with the team, but he's been promoted to be wide receivers coach. Did you notice him kind of chilling on the bench? He looked like, you give him a beer, it looked like me chilling on the bench, just sitting there watching the game. <laughs> you see, that, that really angered me, you know, like losing honest, the game. His, his, his receiver core is drastically underperformed. <laughs> he sat on the bench with his arm up like, oh yeah, Sunday, football. So like, come on, wait, wait. wait. Why isn't he up there? Why isn't he like drawing up, you know, schemes, plays, trying to motivate some people getting into Moncrief? I mean, Moncrief has gone by that point, but you know, getting onto Switzer, who had another terrible game. I just thought, you know, that's I don't want this guy to be the coach for long term. I just, I just that, that's that's him over for me. Are you saying that he did a, a Jacob Rees-Mogg on on the bench? Almost, yeah. <laughs> More casual. I mean, a bit cooler, but yeah, it was it was I was I, I was shouting at the TV. I'll be honest, that wasn't the, the kind of the high-level point I thought you were going to make there, Gav. But, but <laughs> it's I, a high-level point. That's but the I do, I do, I do like watching the, uh, yeah, watching the body language of the coaches. <laughs> you know, I like to see them with all the players huddled around and a, yeah. an iPad or a you know, printout and showing some things and getting, some, getting their backs up you know, and yeah. maybe making them make them think they're playing for their jobs, not chilling next to them. It's like, oh, good game, guys, isn't it? Who do you think is going to win? Um, it's, not, it's not particularly high-level, but I'm, I'm just really happy to see Vance back involved again. Yes. It was yes, so great yeah. seeing him back involved. He wasn't used at all week one, apart from in the fourth quarter. It's just great to see him back. What I had two touchdowns, and I don't know how many receptions. Seven for seven. Seven, seven was it? Yeah, no drops, which is always the way we used to plague him. It's not, it doesn't seem to have so much anymore. He's, he's, a, he's a pivotal role in this offence, I think, at the moment, especially with, with Mongrief being as he is. <laughs> yeah. Well... Should Moncrief is, is should Moncrief be be playing anymore? I is think you need to sit him down. It? You need to sit him down yeah. for a couple of weeks. Make sure first of all, make sure the finger's right. Make sure that we fully understand the situation and why you know this has happened, and just give him a bit. Of, even if we have to, you know, do a bit of uh, messing around with the injury report that Mike Tomlin likes to do now and then. You know, sit him down. Let's get him inactive for a couple of weeks. Get him sorted, and and then see if we can reintroduce him. Because to be honest, by then I would hope that with Mason, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington have. You know, started to make their way into this team because we did see that today a little bit. Um, a couple of good catches from both of them on that drive. Yeah, and and also Johnson seemed to have stolen Switzer's return job. Yes, yeah. which leaves you questioning: uh, Is Switzer, you know, almost on that bubble where he, he could be the next to go if we need to bring, you know, maybe Eli back in or, or Eli? I know, I know, that's the kind of the topic of the the podcast as well. So far, one of the things we keep coming back to is yeah. Eli Rogers versus Ryan Switzer. But I think again, having Ryan Switzer there instead of. You know, Eli Rogers is, has hurt this team. Yeah, and he, you know, he can gain separation. And, and he was in the building this week, uh, confusingly, that um, was reported the other day. Um, so I'm not quite sure why he was in the building. Apparently, we didn't have any intention of signing him on that day. Um, but you've got to imagine he's still in the area and, and maybe I don't Picking know. Picking up his phone are. charger or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I have everything crossed. I'm trying to learn how to, how to cross my ears. I, I can't cross anything else. 
<laughs> I, I do think this might be one of the things that the fan base is getting a little bit riled up about, though. I don't know that Eli Rogers is, is the answer to all of our solution problems, and if he's going to be, you know, the Messiah to be turning back to the. <laughs> I think let's no, just he's let, not the messiah. I mean, he's a, a bit a bit part player, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, let's but... maintain our, our you know composure on this Eli Rogers look. I yeah. love Eli like Rogers, but... is, it, I think his bit is better than the bit that Switzer brings. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. this point, especially without the return value, then I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, a couple of the positives then, just before we move on to the 49ers game, um, I thought that we had a great game from the O line again. Uh, <laughs> only allowed six pressures on forty dropbacks, um, despite the upheaval of obviously having a backup that you're not familiar with in the. Um, Villanueva played a great game uh, against um, Jadavian Clowney. Um, yeah, it didn't really see much of Clowney. Yeah, exactly, and that's because Villanueva uh, yeah. played a, played an awesome game, one of the highest ranked tackles uh, uh, this week uh, per PFF. Uh, so a good game from them, and that, I think that'll serve as well against San Francisco's uh, impressive D line uh, next week. Uh, and, and as well, like, like I mentioned earlier, the D line as well. So but in, in the trenches on both sides of the ball, I, th- I felt we did well, especially in the first half. Uh, obviously, four sacks. Uh, to it just absolutely dominated in the first half. Um, yeah, constantly in the in the in the uh, Russell Wilson's face. So uh, that was really impressive. And then obviously we've already mentioned Stephen Nelson, who I thought had a really good game covering up DK Metcalf. Um, yeah, and you've jumped me on the Snell thing. That was my last point. So well done, ah, sorry. You, you've, pre- well, you've preempted me. <laughs> the, the Castro, you know, that play as well, where he he pulled out and blocked for Samuels. That was a good. I mean, classic the Castro, but it's yeah. always enjoyable watching him do that. You know, lay someone out. Yeah, you sometimes forget about this whole line, but it is a blessing. Uh, you know, it's one thing we don't have to worry about with all the all the confusion around, you know, defensive backs and, and ride receivers. Uh, it's lucky we don't have to worry about the, the O-line all the time. Yeah, it's encouraging for Mason. He's going to be able to sit there. and He's, he's showed some good movement as well in the pocket, I thought, Mason. Yeah. Uh, when he's got, he's, got, he's got the time to, to move in a noisy pocket. That, yeah. uh, you know, the, the O-line's going to protect him and he can sort of, he's got the feet. He can just do that little wiggle that, I think, you know, when you talk about QB mobility, sometimes that's better than having someone that's just going to, you know, bomb out of the pocket straight away. They just have to just navigate the pocket and then get the right the pass, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, like I say, he's, he's got the legs. He's not a running quarterback, but he's got the uh, the agility, a bit like Ben did early in his career. Yeah. Um, moving on then, uh, obviously, uh, this has been a big week, so apologies that <coughs> we got a bit long on this one. Uh, I'm sure people don't mind. Most, most podcasts probably do it in two separate weeks, but... Um, if we look at the 49ers game, uh, Levi Stadium, so we're travelling over to the West Coast this week, uh, 9.25 here in the UK, uh, we take on the San Francisco 49ers who, shock horror, are 2-0, uh, we're 0-2, who would have predicted that uh, going into this portion of the season? Did you uh, hear the stat that, that they've gone 2-0 and in two away games, which is the first time they've done that since 1989 when Joe Montana was their quarterback? <laughs> wow, no, I hadn't heard that. That's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's been a weird two and zero. They completely dominated the Bengals last week, and obviously it felt like Tampa Bay gifted them the first game. Um, but yeah, I think last week for me, I did you watch much of the Forty Nine ers Bengals game? Neither of you. Uh, yeah, so a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, so. It felt like it was a bit of a romp, really, considering the way the Bengals played in Week One. I thought it was going to be a close game. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a, a run play clinic, I yeah. thought. Yeah. You see every single possible run play in Carl Shanahan's book. I yeah, mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was entertaining. It was. It was, just it, it was impressive, yeah. Two-headed monster with those two. And then you've got use check, you know, yeah. doing use check things. And considering, and just that, keep, just... Yeah, considering that they're both uh, undrafted free agents as well, 
uh, undrafted rookie, yeah. you know, weren't drafted. Uh, what we got, we had, um, what is it, Raheem Mosa and Matt Breda. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not like they're thunder and lightning. They're both kind of, both lightning. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a proper two-headed monster. You know, one they do, they do one a drive with one, then the other one spells him, and he brings exactly the same skills, so they don't need to change the, what they're doing. Yeah, and that does worry me a bit because we, we do have a bit of a leaky run, D, and, and especially when you start... There was, I saw a lot of kind of tricky plays and and uh, screens and, and things like that that we tend not to defend Yeah, well, particularly they, well. they seem to have um, Debo Samuel in yeah. that Tyreek Hill role with all the jet sweeps or gunning down the outside on a go route. So he's, he's one to watch. Then you've got Goodwin on the other side. Yeah. So and... they've, got, they've got speed on the outside and, and a good run game. Yes, yeah, it's concerning. It's all... Well, it's... Sorry, Dave, go of the of the top four receivers, two of them are running backs. It's it's yeah, like you say, it's it's, it's a two headed beast, really. Mm. George Kittle, yeah. obviously, a major mismatch well, nightmare. Yeah, after what Disley did as well, is it, is it going to be the Kittle breakout game for this year? Because he's he's not he's not blown it up this year, and I know that because he's in my fantasy team. I've been <laughs> waiting for him. I just hope I'm not going to be, you know, he's going to be scoring all the points for me against the Steelers. I hate that. Well, this last week was was kind of crazy with Kittle because he he basically was just an extension of the run game. Um, you know, they kept running out wide, and and he was just there blocking on every play, and that's why he didn't put up big numbers, but. Um, seemed to do an effective job at that, so you know he's clearly a a, a dual threat in in that sense, and, and that's what you want from your tight end. Um, but yeah, it does worry me a little bit. You know, obviously we'll see with Minka coming in, but but that's a bit concerning in itself that he's not had a lot of time to gel with the team, and maybe isn't going to be fully up to up to scuff with the the playbook. We talk about all our miscommunication issues. Um, mm. With fast receivers like Godwin and Debo Samuel going up against the potential for these hard-nosed runners, these two guys that are both agile but also can run between the tackles, and then you've got to worry about George Kittle across the middle. Uh, I must admit, I'm a bit nervous about this game more than I probably was before the season started. Yeah, I mean, what? Go on, Dave. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one thing is their 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 defense. Although they've got that terrifying D line as you mentioned, and they've got Quan Alexander in the middle, who's a good player. I don't know. They're a bit conservative. They've kind of played. They just rush four most of the time. Play zone behind that. I, th- I think there is scope with Mason to just kind of pick them apart a little bit if he gets into his rhythm early. Yeah, that's what we we but, need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but think... obviously that that rush is fearsome. Though, though, even though they only bring four, they only really need to because they've got such good depth. I mean, you look at their their roster. It's the it's, guy that had crazy, the big yeah. the big game. Yeah, was it uh, Blair? Yeah. He's actually their third string left end. I mean, he was a leader in tackles and sacks. And he just got this violent dip and rip move. I don't know if you noticed that. He just kind of blows up the guy from his side and whacks him. And then he's up into the quarterback's face. And that's going to be pretty scary for Mason. But, I mean, he's third string behind D Ford and Nick Bosa. Yeah, the, the depth on that line is crazy. Because, I, I like you say, Blair is, is kind of an under-the-radar under, under the radar name when you've got DeForest Butner, Armstead, D Ford, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa. A wild list of... I mean, a lot of them are first-round picks. So it's... Surprising to me that they even traded for D Ford. Did they trade or they just signed him in free agency, didn't they? Um, yeah. D Ford this season. Uh, seems like a luxury, but yeah, definitely. But we we match up well uh, with the O-line, so hopefully we can kind of keep them in check. Yeah. I mentioned their O-line, Staley's down, isn't he? And they've got nobody listed on the depth chart behind him. So that's going to be that's going to be a bit confusion. I think whether they move the tackle, their rookie tackle over from the other side and then that you know that's going to be confusing for him and then someone's got to come into his place so that that's something that the Steelers might look to exploit right yeah absolutely so it could be a big one for uh, maybe TJ Watt or, or well, maybe D- Bud Dupree can get involved yeah. or Ola <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to start banning Tuzar Skipper and all our talk until one of them uh, needs yeah. to play. Yeah, that's probably very sensible. <laughs> Um, Jimmy G is one I just want to talk about quickly um, for all the talk of how great the 49ers have been the last two games I don't feel like we talk about Jimmy G what's your take on, on, on Jimmy Garoppolo I don't know I'm, 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 jury's out on him for me I'm not entirely convinced I, you know he was supposed to be the next heir apparent to Brady and everyone yeah. was you know bowing down at his feet ready to crown him as the next one and he's, he's not really proved it to anyone really yet I don't think yeah, ravaged by injuries a little bit, but you know, still waiting for that kind of what we saw in New England in those games where he played uh, in relief of Brady. I think the fact that they've been able to win uh, almost in the Kirk Cousins model without really relying on him to have a, a major game, obviously. I mean, to be fair, his stat line wasn't too bad. I think it was sort of in the mid 200 yards or whatnot in the last game, but it was. I thought he, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, it was, a, it was a heavy offense game, so you've got to take that into account in terms of the points that they put up, but um, it just doesn't seem like he's the focal point, which seems a little bit odd to me, um, Gavin. I don't is that disagree. Just, is that post injury? I mean, when he came, when he started his first year in 49ers, he, I mean, he was yeah, the focal was, point. Yeah. Then he went down, and then he's kind of, it's just coming back slowly, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he's a good player. But that's concerning because if he, if he does turn out to be what they expected when they, you know, uh, traded for him from the Patriots. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got all the things we've just talked about, and then uh, you know if he's a top ten quarterback, even that's all of a sudden a very very dangerous offense. Well, let's just hope he doesn't have his uh, breakout game against the Steelers. <laughs> so, so our analysis so far is: let's hope George Kittle, Debo Samuel, uh, and Jimmy Gray, <laughs> sorry, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo don't have their breakout games against us. Hey, I think that's why people come to this podcast is the cutting analysis, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. That's what I've been told so far. Um. Lovely. Anything sort of major, anything else we want to talk about, about the 49ers? Obviously, Richard Sherman, uh, I imagine. Does he still travel with the number one receiver? It might be a tough matchup for Juju. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Uh, it, he's... Will, it will be tough. I mean, I'm not expecting... I don't know. Hopefully, Johnson and Washington can step up and have big days and mm. sort of make up for the loss of what I'm expecting to be, the loss of Juju to Sherman. Yeah, it might, might well be, unfortunately. Uh, don't tend to get one over on Sherman uh, too, too often. He even as he gets up there in age. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those players you don't always see very much because quarterbacks just don't, don't throw, throw it. To him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but maybe there'll be a bit of kind of rookie, uh, I don't know if you want to call it uh, bravado, but <laughs> not, not not necessarily the right word, but, you know, uh, in terms of the fact that he, he maybe won't be thinking in that, uh, that realm, maybe he'll, he'll try and get it in there to Juju being the best receiver on the team uh, early in the game. We'll see. Uh, I, think... I think they'll be drilling him not to throw it his way yeah. all week. I think Vance McDonald might be a big one in this game. Obviously, he seems to be a bit of a safety blanket as tight ends off and half for uh, young quarterbacks. Uh, and going that. back to his old team as well. What's that, sorry? And going back to his old team as well. Oh, so, yeah, of course, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so a bit of a, a Vance McDonald revenge game we could be in for. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff. I, I'm excited yeah, for this game. I am. I, I, I do hope... I, I, is it... it as I said, I really enjoyed watching their run their run game. So I, I do hope that it's a good game that that it doesn't just sort of fizzle out and become you know like a ten seven or something. Yeah. I do hope there is. I, I think it would be a good if it was a good scoring game. I think we need that. We need we need to see some points go up and and be prepared for them to put some points on us too. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it stays competitive. Um, but we it is also at this point if we want to stay competitive this season. And bear in mind, there's no real reason for us to want to tank or, or get a high draft pick anymore. Um, 
this is the game we need to we need to go out there and win. Uh, there's no point calling any game a must-win game at this point in the season, really, is there? But the statistics show that if we lose three games on the trot, it, it, there's a, a minimal minimal chance that we make the playoffs. No, it's not a tanking year. I think I think it's a developmental year. Exactly. Yeah, that's the right way to put it. The Steelers don't tank. You know, we aren't we aren't we aren't a complete embarrassment. <clears throat> Dolphins. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> anything else to add, guys? No, I think I'm good. Yeah. Perfect. Um, now we normally do topics at the end of the the podcast. We have gone a little bit longer. Do you think we got time for that, Gavin? How are you feeling? I think a quick one. I think I think everyone in the group has got one topic, burning topic in their mind, which was how was the big Steelers meet up in Manchester? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let the man who um, drunkenly missed his train and, and forgot his coat answer that. Oh, sounds good. How, how is my coat? Sorry. Is it... uh, well, uh, well, I've got a couple of questions on this actually because it's hanging on my um, hallway little coat hanger uh, at the moment. Um, but I must admit, like when I took it uh, to put it in my bag when I was like traveling home, because I only brought a backpack with me, um, it was very like covered in like grass and and like various <laughs> things from the ground. Um, yeah, as if you'd kind of kind of just sprung up that morning. Uh, <laughs> man yeah, of the trees. Do, do you no, live in a hovel, Dave? <laughs> Northwich is uh, it's back like a hobbit girl. Um, no, um, I'm, I'm a landscape gardener, so I, I, I ah, that explains it. Things that are of nature. So yeah, that's why it's my work jacket. I grabbed it out of the van before I left, basically. Oh, he's so, yeah. so you actually do a proper hard working job for for Lynn. Well, I don't know about hard working, but yeah, I do a job. Yeah. All right. Well, that's quite hard, isn't it? Like digging paths and stuff like that. No? But, yeah, I'm, I'm more sort of. Uh, Making comment on my uh, on my apathy, but yeah, yeah, it's it's hard working in that respect. Sort of, it's physical, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, yeah. I have to be honest as well, Gav. To, to, to be fair to Dave, to give him a compliment, uh, and I said it as soon as he walked in. Um, that beard, when you see it on a photo, doesn't do it justice. Uh, perfectly trimmed, uh, very manly. Uh, it's early, puts a lot of time into it. Um, is it a bit of a Brett Kiesel going on, or uh, not as unwieldy, but but also in an impressive way. Um, you know, you can tell that he could let it get out of control if he wanted to, but he's put he's invested a lot of time into making sure that it looks uh, uh, perfect and primed. Does so some oil go onto it? it? I would imagine so. I'll show you some pictures from back in the day. It was um, I was a bit of a caveman, so yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to give a shout out to everyone else that turned up? Uh, yeah, I was, oh, you put me on the, on the oh. depression. I was trying to remember everyone who was there. Um, yeah, so I suppose a bit of context for anyone listening who isn't a member of the group or doesn't know. Um, we had a meetup uh, for some of the kind of you know the long-term members of uh, the UK Steelers fan group on Facebook, which is kind of where this podcast sprouted up from. Um, unfortunately, Gavin wasn't able to make it because he's uh, a dirty southerner, um, uh, and it was in Manchester at Bunny Jackson's bar. Uh, where the the home of the 10p wing, uh, which I quite enjoyed, uh, surprisingly good for 10p as well. Um, in terms of who was there, Dave, you're going to have to probably help me out here. We had Phil, um, we had yeah, we had obviously Jason who runs the group. Uh, we had Erin join us, uh, who's from Manchester as well. Uh, we had Lee, Lee Matthews, um, you, Dave, myself. Uh, who am I forgetting? Was there Freddie? Was Freddie there? Uh, Freddie yeah. wasn't there. Too southern again, unfortunately. Ah, oh, oh, he was really was coming. So. What's that, Dave? He couldn't get his visa to get out of the Ah, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that everyone I've got everyone, Dave? I'm going to be so I feel so bad if I've forgotten someone. I'm going to, I'm going to be feeling really bad if there was someone who missed out. But I think that was everyone. <laughs> was it? Was it a bit like a sort of weird internet date where you're not quite expecting who you're going to meet up, but then 
actually when you all got together it was great because you all had a shared passion for something and it all was all fine no it, awkwardness it was yeah to be honest it was one of those things I was there first obviously because I showed up in Manchester at about 11.45 and nobody else showed up until 5pm um, nice so, but I'd booked a hotel and I was nearby, so it was all fine. Um, and I was waiting there, and Erin uh, showed up, um, who I, I hadn't really spoke to much before either, because he he'd sort of tagged along. He was in Manchester, um, and you know he he was a great laugh. Uh, it was great to have him along. Uh, and then obviously everyone sort of trickled in. Jason showed up uh, along with I think Lee and uh, you, Dave, uh, in kind yeah. of a, a reservoir dogs moment through the door. So that was impressive. <laughs> Um, but yeah no it was great fun Uh, it was good to meet everyone Uh, everyone was a great laugh and had a good time watching you know Phil try the hot wings uh, that are famous in the bar and uh, watching you know Dave uh, obliterate me for drinking dark fruits yeah the result wasn't great and obviously it was one of those things but uh, we had a great time even though we kicked a Packers fan out the bar um um, oh really? That sounds yeah. interesting. What happened there? Uh, no, we didn't physically kick him out. He was supposed to be watching the Packers Vikings game that they the bar had told him they were playing, uh, but because we'd come in, they'd changed it to the Steelers game. So this poor fella had to leave, and he was actually from Wisconsin as well. Um, oh. Sweeter, really? Yeah, it would have been. Uh, we met a, a Ravens fan who hung out with us, a Scottish Ravens fan <laughs> who was okay. uh, in the sleeping with the enemy. Here. Yeah, uh, we met a, a young lady who was from Pittsburgh. Uh, and was completely bewildered at the fact that there was a group of men from the UK, who had, most of which had never been to Pittsburgh, I think it was only me that had ever been, uh, that were all here supporting her team. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was a good time. There was a lot of sort of interesting people in there, um, people with all supporting all different teams. I saw we got some stick-offs and Patriots fans, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah we, I think we want to do another one. Uh, obviously, we'll probably do it further down south, and I'll drive down, but um, yeah, hopefully you can make the next one, Gav. Oh, that'll be good. Uh, did, did Jason bring up Rod Woodson at all? Uh, I don't, not to me. All right, because I know he, he's, he's a big fan of his. So I wondered if he just brought, you know, every opportunity he started, wanted to talk about him. But no, okay, good. Good on you, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jason, oh, Jason, what a gent. Uh, obviously set the group up, for, you know, been running it for years and uh, a great guy and glad we finally got to meet him as well. Um, so yeah, anyone you know listening, I'm, sh- I'm sure for the next one we'll probably open it up a bit if, if we go somewhere a bit bigger. So uh, anyone listening who wants to tag along, please do. Uh, there was a few people who hit me up afterwards who said, oh, you know, I wish I'd known about this. You know, I'm not on the Facebook group or what have you. So next time, if it's if it's a little bit more open, we'll try and mention it on the podcast to make sure everyone knows about it. Um, but yeah, uh, great fun. Um, cool. Uh, anything else big that you want to go over, guys? Anything you want to you want to hit before we get out of here? Well, just. To- do we have time for subjects, or is that, yeah, is that well, going to be a now? I know some of you are on tight schedules with, with kids and whatnot, but we can hit... I haven't got anything major. I'll, I'll save mine for next week. I got uh, a question in from the audience, but but I will save it for next week. So, um, um, But Dave, you can hit one if you want. I mean, Gav kind of brought it up a little bit before. Um, with with Ben out, it, it, it felt like the offense was sort of flowing a lot better, that things were moving a lot better. Does this highlight i mean it, it did to me it might be i might be wrong does this highlight how much influence ben had on play calling that randy had almost no influence um it's an interesting question i, I think obviously but uh, it's going to be different when mason comes in because when you've got a guy coming in like that especially at halftime you're going to go to him and sort of say you know what plays are you comfortable with what areas of the playbook you know do you know well and can we uh, really focus on and, and do kind of what he's comfortable with and what he likes. So I think in that sense, there's maybe not a lot to take away from what we saw from Mason. 
But we are going to see a, a big change because obviously Mason's not going to be uh, in the same position. He's not going to be able to be calling his own plays and, and doing that kind of thing, at least for this season. So, um, yeah, Gavin? Well, they said that he was completely prepared and they they didn't lose any of the playbook at all when he came in. Well... Which is which I think is great, you know. It's, it's, it, they've got confidence in him, Mason, and I, I do think what yeah I think I I did sort of mention it before. I think I think Ben has been as much as you have to kind of have an identity, and Ben's brought that identity with his play style. But then that's limited what the play calling can be. So it's not a predictability, but certainly teams can work out how to stop Ben. I think, especially like the Patriots, obviously. So yeah, maybe this shifting sands with having a, a more open tactical playbook, I think it'll be an exciting time. So that, I, yeah, I think you're right, Dave. I think maybe Ben had, might not say too much, maybe, maybe a bit too much control over what was going on. Like you say, I think teams have maybe cottoned on to what his general, you know, just predicting him. So yeah, I think, I think it was time to, not that I'm saying that Ben's out altogether now and this is the end of it. I think it was maybe time to move away from Ben playing the calls quite, you know, calling the plays quite so much, really. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry, go on, Dave. Uh, I was going to say, I quite like Todd Haley's play call. I know he was a bit of a diddlo with his getting drunk and beating people up in bars and <laughs> all that other antics he was getting up to. But some of his um, some of his play calling, I mean, he, he, his use of the trips and the screens and all that stuff. And I don't know, I thought... But obviously Ben didn't like it. He didn't want to do it anymore, which is why he was kind of instrumental in getting rid of him and putting Feekner in, right? Yeah, and also, you know, we had AB, we had Lev Bell. That was a different time. Um, it's true. So true. it's hard to compare these things, I think. And I think Ben having that level of understanding of the offence is only a good thing. I get the point that you're trying to make, Dave, that, that you know, there's a point where the quarterback has a bit too much control. Um, but... Doesn't hurt Brady, does it? Exactly, yeah. And Ben's a different character to Brady, so again, it's hard to compare. But I do think that when you've got a guy like that who can, you know, even just make reads at the line of scrimmage and change things pre-snap and do things like that, it it is a benefit. And I would rather have that, even if you know he gets to chew up a couple of his own plays that he fancies now and then uh, over, you know, a, a rookie quarterback. But but Mason's a smart guy, you know. I, I think he will pick it up, and I think we'll get there and. You know, it's not like Kansas or you know Philadelphia had any trouble when when Carson and and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes stepped in. So, um, well, if it goes as well as either of those situations, we'll be laughing. <laughs> no, no. Well, we can only dream <laughs> that it goes as well as. Uh... Uh, do, do you ever think about? I tell you what, that could be my topic actually. Before we go, really quickly, do you ever think about that draft with uh, yeah. with with the Steelers? Because I remember, I know it's uh, every team says this now because you know almost anyone could have drafted him, but I remember pre. Uh, pre-draft process, uh, Patrick Mahomes was kind of viewed as a second-round prospect almost. Um, he was kind of the fifth or sixth guy people were talking about, and then you know people got higher and higher on him, and he flew up the draft boards. Um, but all that time, the Steelers were talked about as a team that was really interested in him. Yeah. Um, and I think if he had not maybe had that hype level around him pre-draft, and he'd have stayed at that kind of late first, low second round grade, we might have ended up with him. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah. He's one of those draft prospects that got hot and then cooled a little bit. Yeah. It's sort of a weird trajectory and then uh, it was almost quite a surprise when the Chiefs took him. Yeah, so high, yeah. And traded yeah. up for him, I think. But I think so many quarterbacks yeah. had gone and they needed one, so... Um, yeah. But yeah, I do always think about what could have been uh, with... Well, it's like that with George Kittle as well, because the Steelers drafted Josh Jobs instead of George Kittle. 
<laughs> well, on that note, well, I'm glad we've come full. <laughs> I'm glad we've come full circle from you know depression to optimism to depression again. Uh, but this has been the self pity podcast. Uh, I think we've been pretty optimistic this week, to be fair, guys. So well done. Pat yourselves on the back. Um, and, and thank you so much for joining me. Um, obviously, this is a, I say it every week, this is a, a First and Ten podcast um, brought to you by First and Ten. The network is growing uh, at an almost an alarming rate. Uh, we've got a, a Saints podcast, a Cowboys podcast, a Jags podcast, a Raiders podcast. So, um, as always, if you've got any interest in any of those fil- uh, any of those teams, or you've got friends, family, uh, please let them know uh, about First and Ten and get them to check out the uh, relevant podcast. Uh, or get in touch with those guys if, if you want to uh, get involved. Um, lovely. Uh, thanks so much for joining me again this week, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Right.